Hello and welcome to another episode of Flippin' Orbs. My name is Gordon Anderson and always and with me today I have the man you've all been waiting for, Grant Castleton. How are you, Grant? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm perfectly fine as usual. That does sound a little yeah, but yeah, I'm super. Uh, and for those who listened last time, we had... Um, guest uh, co-host then Seb Celia he's also joining us today welcome Seb thank you thank you for being here with us and that you enjoyed co-hosting with us yeah it was really funny uh, funny or fun yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've had some champagne <laughs> oh, that's the right way to do it so <laughs> Uh, let, let's get into the, the classic question, uh, which we usually do, and that is, what have you been playing as of late? Any good stories or decks you want to tell us about? Grant? Oh, yeah. Um, so I've kind of put Urnumgen on the, on, the, on the back end for right now, and I've been playing Green, green Red Beats with Berserk, uh, Gr Giant Growth, Curd Apes, Chain lightnings, lightning bolts, and some stuff like that, and avoid fates as usual. Um, oh, cool. And but I'm also playing ball lightnings, but uh, I think I may play this for the big tournament next week. We're having I'm having some people over today around like two o'clock, and it's going to be beautiful outside. So we're just going to hang out and, and play magic for probably a few hours today. So I might start play testing what I want to play for next week. But I think it might be this because it's it's not top. It's not tier one, but it's also uh, it's a lot of fun to play. So yeah, like Bull Lightning Berserk is a classic cool combo. But yeah, Sebden, what have you been playing? Yeah, uh, I've been playing like some kind of machine gun deck, I guess. Uh, I met you like this Monday, last Monday, I think. Yep. We played, but I didn't have like all my mana vaults and all my copy artifacts so i just like put all the colors in instead <laughs> i even played some sarah angels but i think i i won over you but it was like yep. getting close you started winning after a while you played what did you play uh, i played um fork recursion still still brewing a little bit with that and added white splashing white so i did a five color version and it ended up not working as good as i hoped so let, let's what, what see. What did you do? What changes did you do? You just like yeah, you really, put in white, didn't you? Exactly. I put in white uh, so I could have disenchant in the sideboard, which should have been good against you, who played the artifact aggro deck. But um, my mana base just became too too bad. Um, with all the five colors, and you need double red, sometimes yeah. four red, and double blue, and yeah, it just didn't work out uh, as I hoped, so I'm still brewing on Fork Recursion. Yeah, but it's a fun deck. I tried it, like, sitting next to 
Yeah. Jonas, who played your deck, then. It was, it's really fun to play it. It, it is a big puzzle. And um, yeah, I love it. But I do love the uh, Machine Gun Artifact Aggro deck as well. Uh, that is my next, probably, tournament deck. I'm, yeah. I think uh, I, without I, I accidentally <laughs> won a lot, I think, <laughs> because I just like put put everything in it, uh, like all the cards, different cards I liked, and maybe not Sarah Angels. I, the, I came up with the conclusion that Sarah Angels don't do as well with Copy Artifact as like maybe Juggernaut, but I don't know. I'm, I like it as well to like burst out all your cards. I think it's good in our meta as well when everybody plays like Arnogadam, Stylish Decks. Yeah. I think so as well. But uh, today uh, we also have a guest. We'll be four people on the podcast for the first first time since we started. I think uh, if, we uh, if we don't if we don't count the NoobCon uh, episode where we interviewed a couple of people, but we were never four at the same time. And um, today our guest is. Uh, if I remember correctly, a New Zealander who's currently living in Berlin. And why he's on the pod is because he loves brewing different decks. I've seen so many fun builds from this guy uh, in so like many different ways. Like special decks. Uh, decks like yeah. that no one else comes up with or wants to play. And he loves playing like monocolored. And um, even though he has full power, and that is not something you see that much, at least here in Sweden, where, oh, you have everything. Ah, then let's play five color. Everything. And uh, he recently took down a tournament in Sweden, Magic Island Tour, with a mono-red build, which we are going to talk about a little more later on. But let's introduce him. Welcome, David Chambers. Thank you, Gordon. Good to be on the show. Thank you for being here. Uh, is there anything you want to add to that introduction? No, that was a nice <laughs> introduction. Thank you. <laughs> okay. But then let's see uh, for more more classic questions then. Like, when did you start to play and play old school? Well, I started playing Magic, I think, around Ice Age. Uh, played it for several years uh stopped playing around mirage block sometime uh but wasn't away from the game for too long uh got back into it at the end of high school uh which was around mccadian masks perhaps and i played it quite competitively in new zealand uh with the group is of it friends. a big scene in new zealand the magic uh, scene, or? it's not huge but it's uh it's big enough to now support the occasional GP, which is nice for the people who play over there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and a, a couple of people have actually been playing on the Pro Tour recently, which is pretty unusual for New Zealand, partly because it's so far to travel for all the uh, yeah, for Pro Tours and GPs and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is but, that part of the reason you moved to Berlin, or is it just like uh, it's happy coincidence? I'd say NoobCon was more of a factor in uh, me deciding to move to Europe. <laughs> so Please elaborate. Until, yeah, until a year ago, I was actually living in San Francisco. And 
uh, I'd wanted to travel to Europe for a long time. I wanted to live in Europe for a long time, uh, but I'd never had a concrete reason to go uh, at a particular time. And so it was always something that I wanted to do, you know, a year from now. Uh, but then I happened to see the secret uh, mention of uh, NoobCon 8, I think it was, at the bottom of a guest post that Magnus wrote at oh, the yeah. end of 2015. That was on and MTG Underground, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And so I thought, oh, this could be a concrete reason to go to Europe and, you know, finally uh, see what it Tip the scales. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I had a great time at NoobCon. And I thought, okay, well, if I get invited to play, uh, I want to come here every year. And I thought, yeah, I'd like to like to live closer to Gothenburg, which honestly is my favorite city. Um, you haven't Go been yeah. to Stockholm in the whole enough. world. Gothenburg is your favorite city. Yeah. And you've been to Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is just strange. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm kind of offended right here. <laughs> I'm not kind of offended. I feel offended. You do know there's like a big rivalry between Gothenburg yeah. and Stockholm. Well, see, I don't know how serious the rivalry is. <laughs> uh, I think it's one of those things where, uh, you know, the, the people most like us or the people we care most about tend to be the people that we have the rivalry. Like a sibling with. rivalry. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, of course. You're I mean, right. what I like about what I like about the um, just the way that people in your part of the world tend to view the world is that it's not so much about you know just looking after the people in you know Sweden or whatever. Uh, I like the fact that at the airport in Stockholm there are six flags, uh, so it's more about you know. Obviously, you know the people of the country, but then the surrounding countries and the and the world at large, and that's that's a nice way to look at things. Approach. Yeah, and well, I think it's a Berlin small, is kind yeah. of accepting as well, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, Berlin has surprised me in uh, many ways, and uh, it's definitely destroyed a lot of the stereotypes that I had about Germany. Um, <laughs> Uh, is it? Is it? What's the stereotypes? Is, are we talking that? Things like, like racism or efficiency and uh -huh. you know, trains running on time, That's and nice. uh, you know, I imagined that Germany would be more like Sweden, where uh, you know there was a lot of uh, support for new technology, and a lot of things were done electronically, and people would be you know, paying for things without using cash and, you know, all the things that I was used to in New Zealand and that I'd seen in Sweden. Uh, but Germany in many ways is uh, quite old school. Everything yes. is cash and, you know, pieces of paper and yeah. people love they, stamping they pieces. Close. They don't have, on Sundays you can't buy anything because right. like yeah. religious <laughs> reasons or whatever. <laughs> you yeah. go to church on Sundays. And then what, uh, what, what, what brought you to, to uh, Germany? Well, I, mean, I, I uh, have been living with my partner for several years, and uh, we both wanted to move to 
Europe somewhere, but we had to decide uh, where to go. So we spent three months in four different cities. We spent time in Berlin and Stockholm and Gothenburg and Amsterdam. Mm. And of those four cities, Berlin was actually my least favorite. Um, <laughs> but Chakra really likes the, uh, the jazz scene and some of the um, sort of cultural aspects of Berlin. Mm -hmm. And uh, Germany is quite uh, flexible when it comes to visas. Uh, whereas had we moved to, say, Sweden or the Netherlands, uh, we would have been, you know, forced to uh, find jobs with local companies and then out. Uh, I'd like say that. They say that Copenhagen and uh, Berlin is like uh, Stockholm, but for grown-ups. Ah, okay. Well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> because uh, we, we, don't, we don't sell alcohol in like regular stores and we have like, you can't be out as late and <laughs> right. in Stockholm, that is, or Sweden. Well, I do, I do think of Swedes as being very sensible. Uh, driving with the lights on and I once heard and this this might be completely untrue but I once heard that there was discussion as to whether uh, motorists should also wear helmets yeah so <laughs> I, I appreciate that and plus I did last time I was in uh, Stockholm I did see someone with one of the uh, I don't know how to describe it but it's it looks almost like a, a scarf but it, yeah it's it is the it's, it's like the chieftain. Yeah. It's a it's a thing you have around your neck, but when you like fall over, uh, it's a helmet. But it's right, an inflatable helmet. But it looks suitably stylish. Yeah, yeah. and it's called hovding, uh, which means chieftain. Ah, I see. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah, but um, that's a little bit the about brewing. you. So exactly, let's go over to. Brewing in '93-'94 uh, because you do love to brew. I do. Yeah, so I am. Very tell us a little bit about format, which appreciates that. Oh, it really, because, really does. Because turning up to a GP or something like that with a brew and going three, four, uh, that's not a very enjoyable experience, but. Turning up to an old school tournament with a cool deck and going three four—that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think when I, I told like last episode, I we talked about when I think it was last uh, Nobcom when they were were having uh, their stream, like they were going through tables, like looking what decks people were playing. They didn't care like what seating they had or like what mm. seat. Or, they're just like, what what decks are you playing? This is like. More for the fun of it, like what you like to watch. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they that... didn't put uh, the top tables, didn't get the streaming matches. It was like, oh, here's a Eureka deck. Yep, <laughs> that we're, that's going to go on stream. And yeah, but. But that's your experience as well, Chambers. Yeah. Um, I, I love the fact that uh, in this community, it's so easy to share ideas. Uh, we just spread out the cards, take a photo, and you know, put it wherever. 
um, and then other people um, are not just appreciating the you know synergy of the deck or you know whether it's streamlined or whatever but people are also appreciating the aesthetics of the of the deck you know ca small card choices like which Mishra's factory picture or pictures uh, for for the particular deck little things like that uh, don't go unnoticed in this community which is really pleasing to me yeah grant you should you had like a bunch of cards like signed from your tournaments you won yeah so those are always is fun. that appreciated in, in your community like when you have won the card and then you play with it because it's signed yeah i mean it's more so just like a fun easy way to do like um prizes and i, I i'm not really sure exactly how it got started but um it's it's nice when we do all of our tournaments since we're doing them for charity all the time and like we don't really want to pay out for pro like pay people or give in money for 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 prizes so we just donate something that we have so it's usually just kind of like a fun thing we're starting to f we're starting to now maybe make it a little bit <clears throat> a little bit uh uh, what's the word? Well, we, 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 we basically will accept any old school playable, but I think we're starting to maybe just say now it has to be black bordered, but, mm. um, but we'll see just because, um, I, I don't really care, but some were, we, we uh, like for the, we bought, someone bought like 40 dust to dust the other day. So we could give them <laughs> for, for prizes, I think for the, for the players ball that we're going to have, cause we're going to have like 58 people, but um, yeah, so then that's kind of cool because then you you know you hang out and go to different tournaments or play with people and you see the cards that they won and we write the the the, the date and like the city and like what like what where it was uh, in the card as well so you can like like look through them and see where all the prizes are from. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, chambers, uh, deck building as a whole, as as we in the introduction I said you you built quite a few different uh, decks uh, that stands out from the crowd. So my, my, my biggest question, that, that's like the workflow of brewing. How do you come up with idea and how do you take that from an idea to a deck? Well, I like to work with constraints. And you did mention that I have full power, which is true, but I only have four dual lands. I only oh. have Tropical Island. So mm -hmm. unless I'm playing blue-green, I'm pretty much playing one color. Um, and I like having that as a constraint because uh, one slight problem with old school uh, is that there's a real incentive to play five colors yes. because anytime one starts with a two-color deck, one's going to play that jewel land and then City of Brass four copies of City of Brass. And it's then For so consistency. Or... Exactly. I mean, if I were to play blue-green, I would still play City of Brass just for the consistency. Uh, but then it's so easy to say, well, I've already got, you know, four Cities of Brass, a Black Lotus, and maybe an off-color Mox. I could splash black and play Demonic Tutor and Mind Twist or whatever. Yeah, I always and, unlock yeah. like that. Right. And that then forces... Uh, certain decisions to be made and maybe 40 out of the 60 cards end up being the same from one deck to another yeah. 
So that, that's the feeling I have with uh, like Commander and sometimes Vintage. That like it's right. all of these cards you have to play, and then you end up with like ten. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, right? especially Vintage, where like a deck is eight cards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he has changed them, and you can have four different decks. But what's the pros and the cons with like going monocolored or? Well, one one pro is that. Uh, it's easier to make a deck look really nice uh, because <laughs> as soon as one says, okay, I'm going to play four or five colors uh, and I want my whole deck to be blackboarded, uh, that's going to be quite an undertaking. Uh, whereas if I say to myself, I'm going to build a mono black deck and every card is going to be blackboarded, well, I don't need to find all the dual lands um, and you know slowly work them up from unlimited to alpha or beta so uh that is i find quite a nice uh constraint and then secondly i get to play with some uh less played cards because i'm going deep within one color rather than uh rather than just taking the powerful cards from the other colors uh also i get to feel like i'm the uh you know the good guy the underdog <laughs> uh, so to give an example of this uh one play that was just very uh, pleasing was to be playing against you know a four or five color deck with a mono red deck. Uh, my opponent played an end of turn ancestral. Uh, I forked it, and then my opponent was about to draw three cards as well, thinking, "Oh, that's fair enough. We both get three. But I said, "Hang on, hang on." And then after resolving my own ancestral, I then played red, element, red elemental blast <laughs> uh, on his one. Uh, <laughs> So that felt like you know this was this was a weaker color um, up against you know all all five colors um, and coming out on top. But in terms of what motivates me to build decks, it's often less about a particular deck and more about a particularly satisfying interaction. So uh, Grant just mentioned um, dust to dust, and I absolutely love that card, uh, and I particularly love cards which are better against the good decks than they are against the tier two decks. So uh, I might just have the urge to cast dust to dust. Uh, and so I'll think, okay, well, I really want to build a deck. Where, where can I do that? Exactly. And then I'll think, well, let's go mono white because that's where I start. Um, and then I'll, I'll think, well, what kind of shell could I build around it? And just earlier today, actually, I was thinking it would be really sweet to build a deck that uh, basically played Armageddon and Nivinarul's disc and was just trying to set up a, a game state in which it had a big creature like a Sarah Angel or a Triskelion inside Tornos's coffin and would then play Armageddon and would then activate a Nivinarul's disc and everything would be gone, all the lands and you know all the other permanents, except for the Sarah Angel that came out of the coffin. Yeah, you, like you like playing so, Tornos Coffin. I do. Well, it's a very sneaky card. A couple of brews you made when you use it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a good card. So the the first school was in San Francisco, I guess late 2015, and I built a mono red deck. Uh, mono red control, I would say, um, and 
I played against someone who had Tornos's coffin, and twice in the same game, I forgot how the coffin worked, and I, you know, <laughs> I tried to, <laughs> I tried to shatter a Mishra's factory or something, and he put it into the coffin. And then later in the game, I tried to fireball the Sarah Angel, and he put it into the coffin. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that, okay. that, that card's too good. <laughs> I was told five minutes ago how that card worked, and I already forgot. So I want to buy some of those cards, and I want to be the one who's uh, doing the sneaky things. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's how you found uh, Tornos Coffin, because I've, as Seb said, I've seen you play it a couple of times. You even drafted it here in Sweden in an old school draft. That was uh, exciting, yeah. Uh, that was cool of you getting the combo with Triskelion there as well. Right. So I think uh, that's also uh, quite a good segue to talk about one of the decks uh, you built, which we are going to talk about this episode. And I think then we should start with your uh, NoobCon deck from this year, NoobCon 9. Uh, you're calling it Total Recall. And for listeners uh, who wants to see the deck, uh, we are going to publish it um, in the episode post on wakwak.se and probably also have an like Imgur link on the iTunes descriptions, on the RSS description, if you're listening in some other way. And, uh, but if you're not, if you don't want to check the picture out, uh, I'm also going to tell you the deck a little bit now before uh, David, you, yeah, yeah, you can tell us what it really does. I'm just going to read the cards now for all the listeners. Uh, it's for Hercules Recall for, um, uh, what's its na his name? Uh, the Wizard, <laughs> where you sacrifice artifacts to draw a card. Uh, Poor Latnum. Wizard. Is it the Sage of Latnum? It uh, is. Or yeah. the Librarian. He answers to either. Oh, goddamn. The Librarian. Uh, four Triskelions, blue power, one Unsummon, Brain Gazer, one Psionic Blast, Recall, Mana Drain, all the classics. And then you have four Nevinrel's Disc. Uh, all the Moxen, uh, Chaos Orb, and those classic cards. A City in a Bottle, a Disruptive What's Scepter. What's the classic cards? Yeah, but... Soaring... Oh. Yeah, that was no more than that. The the Mox and the Black Lotus, the Sol Ring, the Chaos Orb cards that are always in all all decks if you have them almost. And uh, uh, then you end up also with two Tunnels Coffin, of course, and four Mana Waltz to push everything out a little bit, and a couple of lands. Um, so I'm assuming this uh, this is pre this is pre. Being able to play four Maze of Iths, I'm assuming? Uh, yes, this is uh, NoobCon, and uh, Unrestrictions happens after NoobCon each year. Like, right after, right? Okay. Yeah, so there's one Maze of Iths in this deck as removal. Yeah. And the uh, workshop is notable, I guess, with the lands. Yeah. One Strip Mine, four Mishra's uh, Factory, one Mishra's Workshop, Library, Maze, and a bunch All of islands. All of them islands. All of them yeah, islands. This, I would love to play this with four strip mine. That would make this deck a lot better too. I think. Oh yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think this is a deck where four strip mine would would shine. Would excel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Next noobcon. <laughs> Next noobcon. Yeah, but chambers. How about uh, talking? What what does this deck actually do? Well, 
I didn't figure out many of the interactions until NoobCon itself. <laughs> uh, there were just so many different synergies in the in the deck. So to to provide an example, uh, let's say that in play you have an untapped Nivina Rules disc, a Sage of Latnan, a Tornos's Coffin, a Treskelion, and you have a Hercules Recall in hand. There are just so many different ways that you can stack those effects in order to make something good happen. Uh, but I was pretty tired on the day. I'd been too excited the night before. I hadn't really slept very much. <laughs> and uh, trying to figure out how to stack everything in reverse order so that it would all come out in the right order and I wouldn't end up embarrassing myself by having my, uh, you know, my trike come out of the coffin only to then uh, die to the disc or something <laughs> unfortunate like that. No, that uh, was, was quite fun. Uh, but the general idea of the deck is that uh, Nivinaru's disc does not uh, sacrifice itself as part of the cost. So once a disc is untapped, it can be activated and one can respond to the activation by playing Hercules Recall. And that's amazing because not only does it save the disc itself, but it saves all the Moxin and Mana Volts and, uh, you know, Triskelions or... Uh, any other artifacts that happen to be on the on the board, but just just for the caster of the Hercules Recall, obviously. Uh, so that's one of the 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 main ideas behind the deck. Um, throw everything back up in your hand, right? And um, destroy everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just use the Nivinarul's disc uh, pretty defensively. Um, you know, there are even situations where you might find that it's holding off uh, your opponent's Mishra's factories because they don't want to... You know, there are these interesting games with the disc in play where uh, both players have roughly as many permanents uh, that would be destroyed, uh, but neither player wants to uh, commit too many more uh, permanents to the board. Uh, and so often, if... If my opponent were to attack me with a Mishra's Factory, that might push me over the edge and uh, prompt me to blow the disc, maybe play a Hercules Recall in response if I have one. Uh, but it was it led to some really interesting games. Uh, one problem with the approach, though, the games do tend to take a long time. Uh, and I did have two draws at, at NoobCon. Um, and that's... Is it intentional draws or unintentional draws that gives you zero? zero? Is it both? Or uh, I'm uh, not you sure. Don't get any points that. for draws? Uh, you get points for draws uh, at NoobCon until I think uh, the two last rounds, and uh, intentional draws are frowned upon and even illegal. I think that that's illegal. Other you should not. Is do that it. true for? Do you have draws in your in uh, United States, Grant? Um, I think we time our rounds, but I don't think we've ever really had a draw. Me, yeah, I don't. But you don't like draw in before top four, top eight, or something like that. No, no, we just we will if it starts getting long, everyone pretty much will be like, "Yo, hurry it up," and they and then they do so. And to be completely honest, by the end of the night, do everyone's so drunk usually that it's just like I don't know really what's going on. So everyone's <laughs> just really playing. Oh, that's old school. Like, it's yeah, too so, hard to like make the calculations for when it's good to make a draw. 
Yeah, well, even that, yeah, and it's just like no one, and I think, oh, you know what? No, I'm an idiot. We don't we don't go to draws. We go to orb flips. So if, if oh, it yeah. does go to time, we, we go back and forth, and whoever misses the first orb flip loses. <laughs> but like on a card or just like Yeah, yeah, so tail? you'll take your orb flip, you'll take your orb and flip it onto uh, like uh, just a card in the middle of the table and go against your opponent, and then whoever, I believe whoever misses first, and then if you make it, then you you know you win. I would just concede like instantly. I hate. That. <laughs> <laughs> do you not hate our? Do you hate the podcast? Yeah, yeah, not the podcast, but like, yeah, whatever. You wouldn't. Well, if you wouldn't like our uh, orb patch uh, flipping uh, that we do. Yeah, Have you, you seen those flip... patches that we made? Yeah, you need to like fifty flips in a row to get the patch, or what was it? So. You, you need to get 50 flips in a row, but you're able to buy yourself any amount of shots. But if you miss, you have to do a shot. So you can you can do 20. But the, the thing is, you have to finish. If you just say you did. I, when I did mine, I only did two. And that's because I was well, driving. You, you, uh, explain. It's like, so, like okay, if you so, miss at five, you have to do five shots. Well, you have to you at. at Right before you start, you have to say how many shots you want. So how many times do you think you're going to miss before you get to 50? Mm -hmm. So just say I start you flipping. Can, you and can I, like, uh, you can, if you make, uh, well, I, do, I just do 50 shots. Then so you don't have to flip, do anything. But, but the thing is, you have to finish those even if you complete it. Yeah. So, so that's why. So like, just say, so one of our friends did five shots. He missed yeah. three times until he got to 50 so when he missed he did the shot missed he did the shot missed he did the shot and then eventually got to 50 <laughs> and completed but then he had to finish those two shots but oh, just say he missed six times and doesn't have a shot to to take before getting to 50 then you then you lose uh, most people oh, I like this do game. like three to four so i like this yeah game. i did i, I did it in two i missed twice and then didn't miss until i got to 50 so i barely made it but and um, then you get a patch, like what's yeah. The then you just get a Chicago old school with a chaos orb patch that Dominic uh, designed. That's so. nice. It's super sweet. Uh, you can find that patch on uh, your on uh, the, the Lord's Instagram. Yeah, or, okay. yeah. And basically, the only time we give them out too is at our tournaments. So people are like, "Oh, I want to buy it, or can you mail me one?" And we're like, "You got to come and show up, do it in front of everybody, and earn it, and then we'll give you one." So there's going to be a lot of people probably going for it in two weeks. I'm assuming. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but Chambers, yeah, you, let's... You, you're you're playing uh, like one disrupting scepter. Was that good in the total recall deck? Uh, I don't think it was very good, but I <laughs> happen to have a black water one. About that. And it just looked really nice. Uh, but there were a few times when I got to do some fancy things with it. Um, you know, one thing that I like is finding uh, just a rare. Um, scenario in which I might get to do something and in this case it's using Disrupting Scepter twice in one turn um, thanks to Hercules Recall <laughs> so so like replaying it all, only uh, 11 mana yeah yeah but the thing is Hercules Recall is usually like a dark ritual at yeah, the very with least the mana vaults. yeah mana vaults and moxen uh, so yeah I, I think that came up once and that made me smile uh, I'm not saying... <laughs> so it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, it was worth it. Um, this is a problem that I have when I play games. I often get sidetracked by, uh, you know, some 
sub element of the game and i get really excited about you know about that particular part of the game it like might be getting two for one implementing ones, for one thing instead of winning a game exactly yeah um, i love it all right so oh. i definitely lost games due to doing the thing that felt good rather than the thing that was correct uh one thing that springs to mind was uh being in a situation where i had six mana and my opponent had two two toughness creatures on the board and i had a fireball in hand and it just felt so good to be able to use six mana and get that two for one uh but i died a few turns later uh, <laughs> as a result of playing my cards essentially in the wrong order you know i didn't focus on what was the higher priority at the time i went for what <laughs> felt what felt satisfying that that's how time twister works for me yeah oh so, i'm terrible with that i i have a saying <laughs> When you can cast Time Twister, you should cast Time Twister. <laughs> and it has lost me so no, many games. I, th I think it's like, if anybody casts uh, Time Twister, it, sh it should resolve as well. Right. Well, um, never, ca just... never counter Time Twister. Yeah, never counter Time Twister. <laughs> no, I always say just fork everything, so... Yeah, and fork it. <laughs> yeah. Forking balance came up uh, the other day. Yeah. That was That's strange. Um, as we talked about, but um, Chambers, before we go into the next deck, uh, just to quickly, a couple of more interactions is in this deck, because you say there's a lot, and I can see like Triskelia and Tunnel's Coffin, which is a classic. Um, any more? And, and you can use Tunnel's Coffin on, is it, how, how does it work? You just use it on your own creatures, or you can use it as a... You can use it on well, the opponent's creature, and when you blow the disc in response, it will be exiled forever. Uh, or if you Hercules the coffin while the trig while the effect is on the stack to remove a opponent's creature, it will also be exiled forever. You right. can also and sacrifice can also use, it. Yeah, to the librarian. The librarian. So that's a the Tonus coffin has many <laughs> sweet interactions. Right. Also, you can sacrifice. Well, you can use it. Oh, how, you can... Does it how, does, how does the interaction with the librarian work? Uh, you use the tunnel's coffin to exile the opponent's creatures. Uh, when the effect is on the stack, you target the creature, you sacrifice, the the mana, you sacrifice the coffin. Okay. Because okay. then it can't come back. Yeah, but you can't like sacrifice your Triskelion or and on the stack because it's sacrifice. Exactly. So that's what oh, and I see. I see one more interaction now. Uh, with Nevinol's Disc Librarian, because the disc will blow everything up. You can sacrifice the disc after activating it. Right. And that's that's a common play pattern for the deck. Uh, the Librarians are amazing at just uh, churning through. Two for oneing or...? Well, that's one thing. So it's really nice to be able to put pressure on the opponent by attacking with the Mishra's Factory and eventually force them to play a Disenchant or Plow or whatever and then getting a card from it. Oh, uh, nice. So that's really nice. But even just the ability to uh, you know, turn off-color Moxon and whatnot into new cards is, uh, is really exciting in this format because apart from JM Tome and a few other cards, it's not really uh, that easy to, to actually churn through a deck quickly. No. Uh, the Sage does a great job of that. And yeah, the, the thing you mentioned, Gordon, with being able to sacrifice the disc in response, that comes up a lot. But what normally happens is 
you've got the threat of the disk, you, you plan on using it at some point, and you just spend two or three turns sacrificing Moxon and drawing cards. And oh, then you so get you have cards in where, hand instead of on the right. table. So you, you end up oh, just with smart. the Sage and the, the disc, and you wait for your yeah. opponent to attack or whatever, you blow the disc, you draw a card from the disc, uh, yeah, and then you're often sitting with a full hand of cards. And yeah, only... still, you you have you have a bunch of lands to deploy each turn because you draw a card. So oh, and it you're doesn't matter if you sacrifice losing. a moxen or. And it's the same with the ma uh, with the monowalls, I guess, because when you have used them a bunch of times, you don't want to uh, untap them. Right. It's it's an interesting tension in the deck because uh, with Hercules Recall, it's not clear sometimes whether say a tapped mana vault is valuable or not. Um, and I think there have been times when I've been too eager to sacrifice a mana vault, uh, when perhaps I should have been sacrificing a mox instead, uh, because the mana vault has more value with Hercules recall, uh, later in the game. So there, yeah, there's some interesting tension. And one other thing that's a source of tension is we were discussing all the ways in which Hercules, uh, in which the coffin can be used to permanently uh, exile one of the opponent's creatures, but all of those things also apply in reverse. Uh, so if I want to grow a Triskelion with the coffin, I need to be aware that every time I target the Triskelion to put it into the coffin, my opponent could respond by disenchanting yeah. the coffin and permanently yeah. exiling the uh, trike. So there gets to be this uh, sort of interesting sub-game where it's all yeah. about how greedy do you Will want to he, be? Will he, won't he? Yeah, like, oh, I've got a 6-6 six, six Triskelion, maybe I should stop there. And then there's the temptation to say, no, I'll just do it one more time. I'll <laughs> risk the disenchant one more time. So there's this sort of push your luck sub-game, which yeah. I also find quite fun. I like that. But so last question about the, this deck before we're going to talk about another of your brews. How did it go at NoobCon? What was your result? Two draws and... Uh, two draws, and I'm not sure. It was either three wins and two losses, or two wins and three losses. Uh, so it was around about 50-50. Yeah. Uh, the, the most painful loss came to Gregory uh, from Switzerland. Yeah, Protich. That, yes, yes. Uh, that was a particularly painful one. That was right on the, on the edge of, you know, where I thought if I... One of my last three rounds, I you know had an outside chance of being in top eight or whatever. I think we met in the third to last round, and um, we ended up playing a game. Uh, and I was afraid every time he drew a card that he might draw a fireball because I I dropped played, a fireball. Uh, just so the listeners know, he played the power monolith and just needed yes. a wing con. Yes. Um, but in this particular game, he was quite demoralized because I think I'd basically destroyed all his non-land permanents. And uh, he was, uh, I think he was just drawing one card a turn and didn't really have a game plan. But I think I was on eight life and I, you know, counted his lands and realized that I would die to a top deck fireball. Um, but what was uh, funny was that he wasn't really um, excited about his top card as much as I was. And when he did draw the fireball, um, he did the calculations and I knew what was coming um, <laughs> almost before he did. Uh, but that, that was a, that was a, 
yeah, that was one of those classic old school top deck. Um, I, I've been demoralized by you as well, David. <laughs> <laughs> For a different reason, though. <laughs> I, I played a I played a Spirit Link on David's. Uh, we're coming to that deck like in after the next one, I guess. Yep. Uh, uh, Gordon, yeah. Uh, I played on, on an ATOG. <laughs> and like after I played the Spirit Link, passed the turn. You, you like took a moment and like thought about it and then you said like how does spirit link work exactly <laughs> and then uh, i understood i understood that i had lost so i just like scooped up all my cards because i understood that it's not like lifelink works now no it's a trigger oh, yeah. And, and you insisted on me like no 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 maybe you maybe i won't go in for it maybe i won't suck myself <laughs> David, I already I already scooped up my cards. It's not right. like I have a source yeah. of blushers in my hand. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um let's come to that one in a moment. Um I, I just thought... want to say before we, uh, we yep. move on as well that uh, David is the only reason I played when I made my machine gun deck, I played two uh, librarians. Uh, and I think that was a it's a good card in the machine gun deck as well. Yeah. But the problem with the sage, he's a one-two, and you always have to keep him untapped, <laughs> because like it's what uh, David said earlier. Like it's if I attack with my Mishra, uh, I would I would like to ha be able to sacrifice it if he has a removal, and that's like basically how the card works in that deck at least. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but then before we come to that deck. I want to talk about a deck you played uh, on the Twitch stream, uh, which has a summer vacation for now, but we'll be back uh, to the autumn, uh, where we stream Skype Old School Magic. And uh, one day you showed up with a mono black build, which got everyone quite excited. And there was a lot of discussions in the chat for a couple of reasons. Uh, so first, let's just go through the deck. It has a bunch of swamps, a strip mine, a black marks, and a black lotus. That's the mana base. And uh, the notable, uh, notable thing here is there's no Mishra's factories. Uh, oh, there's two. In the sideboard. Ah, yeah, okay, okay. So otherwise, there's there, there it's a beautiful deck. It's four stone throwing devils four vampire bats here, here we come to the cards uh, as you said cards no one else plays because you're going monocolored four bog rats four urg raiders four cyclopean mummy uh four bog imp i think four hasran ogres and then to top the curve off three hypnotic specters uh and the only thing that isn't creatures or mana is four bad moon and four unholy strength. So before you're going to talk about this deck, uh, as those who listened may have noticed, the, the thing people started to question in the stream was, where's the Black Knights and why only three hypnotic specters? So talk us through what made you build this deck and then come to the answers for those questions, I think? Well, uh, it was a matter of aesthetics, partly. 
I think that black cards with black borders just looks so nice. And the idea of making a mono black deck with nothing but black bordered cards was really appealing to me. I didn't quite achieve it, but I got quite close. There's the Black Lotus here. Exactly. Right. M1 Hypnotic. I've since got the uh, Alpha Hypnotic, but yeah, I do not have a black bordered Black Lotus. And I've That's even okay. considered not playing it <laughs> in order to be fully black bordered. But my thinking was uh, I had some bad moons, and I really wanted to see how, how far I could uh, push just this linear black creature strategy. And uh, some of the card choices are a little odd. Uh, I didn't have any black knights at the time, uh, which is why I was playing some uh, some rather strange two drops. Like the mummy or what's the mummy the is quite weak. Uh, <laughs> I thought that the bog imp would be very weak, but I was actually quite impressed by how well bog imp played in quite a few games. But the idea was let's play mono black. Let's uh, not play Mishra's factories because uh, so many of the uh, the two drops uh, cost black black. And I even spent uh, one night working on this recursive uh, Google spreadsheet uh, to essentially work out the optimal number of swamps uh, to to give me uh, two lands on turn two, which is really what the stick wants. Uh, so one other thing that was interesting was that I decided not to play Dark Ritual, uh, which is a strange, a strange decision uh, for for many black decks. But uh, the the thing that I was going for was uh, card advantage by simply having fewer lands than my opponent. And there are two reasons that I think Dark Ritual is not a good fit in this particular deck. Uh, one is that. Um, dark rituals can't really replace lands because this deck really needs two lands. It's pretty much going to have to mulligan um, any seven card hand that only has one land. Uh, even even a hand with a land and a dark ritual is pretty much uh, a mulligan. So I would actually rather have a land than a dark ritual in many I cases. Think, I think something that talks for your uh, thoughts about it is as well your sideboard when you have like paradise and terror it seems like you go through this transmutative sideboarding when you go into control or am i wrong i i'm not sure that the thinking behind that sideboard uh this is a <laughs> finely tuned deck this is more like a version one um okay. because but it, I don't... it looked like it when you have like eight removal cards and like uh three assassins is it well assassin? yeah it look, looks like you, you go control right. against aggressive decks, or I don't know. Well, I got to the point where I thought, well, I have all the aggressive creatures in the deck already, um, and I thought it might be nice to have access to some removal spells, but the reason I had a, a few terrors and a few paralyzers and I think a uh, one copy of Ashes to Ashes was just that I didn't know which ones would be good. So it was one of those sideboards where I, I put a few different things in uh, just to give me options. Yeah, just to point out there, in the in the first, you played this deck two streams. I have a picture from one of them. There, there you have four Paralyzed, four Terror, three Royal Assassin, two Copper Tablets, and <laughs> two Mishra's Factories. Right. 
so the other reason that I don't like uh, Dark Ritual is that the whole idea behind this deck is to uh, to take advantage of the fact that there's not a lot of um, two-for-one or, or many-for-one removal that's actually played in old school. So, I mean, Wrath of God is a card, but it doesn't really see play. Yeah, we uh, talked about the yeah, dust to dust earlier. That's not a removalist per se, but that's like the closest you come to it, maybe. Right. It's pretty it's pretty difficult. So just the idea of just playing a huge number of um one one, two two, three two creatures, uh hopefully getting a bad moon and making them all a bit more significant, but then just having the opponent run out of uh, removal. So okay, so they'll plow something. They might plow another thing, um, but uh, they don't have really. Uh, there are no creatures that will die. You can just like time. spew out more creatures, and they exactly. have to have the um, answer. Yeah, right. It's, you it's have really more... similar to. It's really similar to how White Weenie plays. You just keep keep playing guys until your opponent basically. You just go wide, hoping to you know outrace your opponent with, with right. creatures and stuff. And you have I more creatures that, and he has removal. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the, the way to undermine that strategy is actually to play turn one Dark Ritual Hypnotic Spectre, for example. Yeah, because uh, then you because get they two for one. Or plow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like this. I really like the decision not playing Dark Ritual, just to be clear on that one. Because your curve is so low, you don't need to use Dark Ritual to really power out your threats. You just want to steadily play threats all the time so you don't want to you can still pay, play two threats if have three threats at turn two exactly you, you don't want to draw a, a blank dark ritual you want to draw a threat all the time that's why it's only eight cards except for the mana base that isn't threats right i was i was thinking about you know the freed, but that's that maybe it's just, it hogs up your mana or have you thought about it? I'm yeah. also uh, living in constant fear of City in a Bottle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because in my view, just about every old school deck should should have four copies of City in a Bottle in their 75. Um, if they're not <laughs> playing a lot of Arabian Nights cards themselves. So that's actually one of the reasons that uh, I played um, Bog Rats, for example. Um, I was at the time thinking that bog rats uh, might actually be better than stone throwing devils just because it has a better expansion symbol. <laughs> uh, so I was pretty nervous about a June and a Freed. I did consider it, but uh, for me, I actually think hypnotic specter is a better yeah, of course, three it's drop. A, it's uh, a better three drop, but if I think... you want more three drops. There should yeah. be another. There should be a Juno Nefrit deck out there. Yeah, there should I think be. So. That's a sweet card. And I actually think you, to give some critique here, I think you uh, should have had a little more top end than three hypnotics. Uh, I think the deck can uh, like work with maybe five or six uh, three plus drops. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think it's a super sweet deck. That's uh, why I wanted to talk about it and so people can look. Because it's a completely different take on Mono Black. And Mono Black is... Everyone is talking Mono Black. Everyone loves it. It's usually a 
budget tech people start with mono black they remember it from the 90s but this this is mono black but it's a completely different deck than what you usually see and i love it and playing unholy strength with the pentagram is just beautiful uh it's so sweet on vampire bats too i just this kind of way is like made me want to buy blood or bad moon so i went to tcg player and beta but Beta are almost hundred dollars, so I think I'm gonna pass. Yeah, I, I, which is insane because it's not I, played. But I did the same. Off the, off the David. But you don't want them, Grant. I, I guess I mean I'm actually so it's I mean not to steer the conversation, but I've been really trying to not buy foreign, foreign black borders anymore. I'm just trying to get English. But, nice. Uh, it's a good decision. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, uh, David, you what, on the deck list? Like the first variant of this, you didn't play in the Ashes to Ashes, or did you put them in later, or wasn't it good enough? Uh, I think I, if I were to play this deck again, I would definitely have one copy uh, on the sideboard um, because it's pretty sweet that it says non-black. Um, I think I'm remembering the card targets. Two can... targets, yeah. You can still destroy artifacts with Ashes to Ashes. Which is really, really sweet. So, yes. I mean, getting two, you... ju- two Juggernauts, for example, would just feel well, amazing. Well, you can. Ashes to Ashes. No, I think Ashes to Ashes is only non-black. Non-artifact. Okay. Ah, so, so I'm It's even better because it's, okay. I guess it's better. Is it better or worse? Uh, what would you have liked? I, I, would, I think I it's w- better. I think it's best if it would have said non-black because okay. there's more artifact creatures but, but than black. But in this deck, I think it's not. better with non. Oh, what's this terror? Terrorist? Yeah, no, maybe. Well, I mean, I terror can't terror can't target artifacts either. Yeah. So I think, okay. Yeah. So artifacts in options. general is maybe a problem for this deck. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the downside of playing one color. Um, you know, all the colors in Magic have weaknesses, and that's that's part of what makes uh, magic so interesting. And I think that's fine. I mean, this deck isn't trying to win every game. It's just trying to put down some threats and basically pose a question and see whether, you know, the opponent can, can, can deal with it. Yeah. Deal with whatever comes out and it comes out, you know, within three turns or something. And then the game's probably going to last only like five or six turns. Uh, and if the opponent can weather that, initial storm um probably you know they're going to end up winning the game yeah. uh, one thing i'll mention though is that this deck gets quite a bit better in the u.s uh, uh, order of the even hand and things like that yeah him to Torek and and the order of the even hand make a big difference um and i, I did four strip mines <laughs> yeah well i mean he was saying though if the swamps are important, but I mean, at the same time, four strip mimes is still very good. So, I think the the this this is a strip mine deck. What I what would so. be the top end card? Would it be a nightmare, or if you would put it in? I probably wouldn't go beyond a four drop. Um, so maybe two two two, two, two yeah. juice and gins at most. Yeah. yeah. But um, so, I just have a last you question. Were talking, sorry. Or uh, if Seb, uh, if you have one, um, otherwise I want to go to the next deck. After yeah, this. Uh, let's move on on. Yeah, I just want to know. I was thinking know... about 
why the the reason you had two type of ca copper tablets i just want to oh, like yeah. <laughs> cement uh, you had two type of ca uh, copper tablets and two uh, mishes factory so didn't it work out as a control deck or because that's that's the feeling i get when you have like that why do you have them in the sideboard i think my rationale was that royal assassin might be good in some matchups um, but I had uh, basically played the minimum number of lands to support all the two drops in the deck. Uh, and I thought if I was bringing in Royal Assassin, I would probably need to bring in some more uh, lands. And I thought if I'm bringing in lands, um, I don't need to bring in more swamps because I've already kind of... You uh, hit the quote. Yeah, I've got the quota of black mana sources. So I can play, you know, I could bring in Library of Alexandria or, uh, uh, you know, Desert or something fun. Yeah, that yeah. was the thinking. Not yeah, a lot of thinking. Super good thinking, <laughs> uh, I think. And um, like to wrap this deck up, how good do you think it is on a scale uh, one to five? How, how did it go and will you brew more or is it put aside now? Wasn't it good enough? Uh, I'll probably pick it up again. Um, but I would say on a one to five scale, it might be like a, a two or a three, uh, not, not super strong. Um, but I think it's probably like a three or a four, uh, with fallen empires. I think that does make yeah. a big difference. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's so, a nice thing. It's, it's a viable was, Yeah. Fallen empires was him to Torak and Ebonhand or. Right. And and you would put in uh, Black Knight instead of the Mummy. Yeah, Black Knight's a yeah. definitely a good card. So Maybe if anybody back. would, That's if you... anyone would have would like to put this deck like to test, they would maybe think about taking out the Mummies. Maybe put in two Jason Jens and the fourth Hypnotic. Yes, the, and. And everything needs to be blackboarded still. <laughs> yeah, you can't play this deck otherwise. Just so the <laughs> listeners know, if you don't have it blackboarded, play something else. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, let's go to the last deck we will talk about um, of your design, and that is the deck which took down first place on the Magic Island tour in Sweden, which was a. a strange and uh, cool tournament uh, which i missed uh where you will strange. play you mean unique unique uh <laughs> strange uh which you played on a small boat which cruised around the archipelago archipelago it was a steamboat a steamboat in the archipelago of stockholm um super fun idea that's why it's the magic island tour um 16 person tournament and uh, it's it was one of the first tournaments here in stockholm where black weiss was unrestricted uh, i think the second one yeah so how uh, did how did that do the unrestriction i or, think I, th I talked about it briefly uh, like like really last time when we talked yeah like I think me and David had the same thought. David can correct me. Like I thought, like what 
what would make uh, Blackwise tick? It seems like you made the same decision, like, let's go full Blackwise. Am I wrong? No. Mm. That's yeah. right. So let's, let's um, uh, tell what the deck is. Um, it is a little bit, as we talked last episode, when we talked a lot about the Blackwise and the red deck with Blackwise. Because this is a mono-red deck, which uh, David calls the Trinket Repair Shop. It is four ATOGs, four Orcish Mechanics, four Lightning Bolt, four Chain Lightnings, and that's the red base with uh, the classic red card Wheel of Fortune as the last red card main deck. Otherwise, it's an artifact deck. We have all the Moxen, Black Lotus, Soul Ring, one Mana Vault. Uh, let's get back to that one. Four Black Wise, four Winter Orbs, as nothing costs that much. Four Ankh of Mishra, and four Copper Tablets. Of course, because it's David, uh, there's also one main deck sitting in a bottle. <laughs> uh, the Chaos Orb, of course. And then there's uh, Mishra's Factories and Mana. Keep so your enemies close. <laughs> Is that the sit in a bottle? or? <laughs> That's just how David plays. Of course, there's four. <laughs> and, and and the card he's most afraid of, he, he always plays with. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, you're either the most afraid of it, otherwise you play four of it. There's no in-between. That's right. Yeah, that's how I roll. So, um, tell us uh, how you came up with uh, this configuration because uh, most people that just listen can hear that it's an aggressive deck with ATOG and punishing cards and black vices and burn but how did you come up with it? Well I think it was listening to this podcast actually that got me thinking about black vice I think you mentioned a few months ago Gordon that uh, it makes certain cards better and Atog is a card that I've loved for a long time. Um, and Black Vice is a card that is sometimes very good, but often uh, completely blank. So it's nice to uh, play it with either Atog or with the Librarian um, so that you know there's some value even in the games uh, when it doesn't do it. any damage. Yeah. But the, the other thing that's nice is that the value of a Black Vice goes up a lot um, in a deck that can play Lightning Bolts and Chain Lightnings mm-hmm. uh, because the games you have the where one does... Reach. Yeah, when one plays a Black Vice on turn one and does three damage, I just I, I feel I've played a Lightning Bolt and drawn a card because uh, the three damage, that's as good as, good as a Chain Lightning. Uh, or a lightning bolt, but it's likely to do two damage later on in the game when it's sacrificed to either an ATOG or to Orcish Mechanics. So uh, that feels really good. But I would actually agree with, I think, what you two were discussing last week, which is Black Vice is a card that I definitely want when I'm on the play. Um, And so I've more recently been thinking that I should either play Black Vice main deck and sideboard all of them out um, when I'm on the draw, or so just like play four, four in the in the deck and then sideboard them out. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, because one of the problems with this deck is that it has a lot of cards that uh, they don't really uh, they don't really win on their own. Uh, so there are the the winter orbs, uh, the angst of Mishra, uh, even the copper tablets. Uh, they're all cards that, in certain situations, um, will put this deck in a favorable position. Um, but it feels like the whole deck is full of um, mana and uh, cards that are fairly symmetrical, um, and and some of which actually don't do much in many games. So I think there are some real weaknesses to this deck. Uh, but what what is fun about it is um, is the fact that it can often empty its hand on turn two. Uh, and I, in my experience in old school, um, the player who plays more cards on the first turn or in the first two turns uh, is often going to win the game. And this comes up not just in aggressive decks, but even in deck, you know, mirrors and things. If if one player just starts with Tundra Go and the other player plays Land Mox, Mox, Falwar Stone, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to... Yeah, that's really true. That. And there are so many there are so many cards that punish uh, people who have a slow start, like Time Twister, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, you know, Balance isn't played very much, but you know there are cards that uh, Mind Twist is probably the big one. Um, if you get behind on mana and uh, have too many cards in hand, um, there there are just too many ways that 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 can uh, be taken advantage of. Whereas this deck really. Uh, doesn't care about Mind Twist. Um, I've even been in situations, I played one game on the boat, I think, where um, I had a uh, Chaos Orb, and uh, my opponent had, uh, in fact, no, this was against uh, David Montag on on Skype. Uh, He had both a Hypnotic Spectre and a Royal Assassin, and I just decided to destroy the Royal Assassin. With the chaos orb. How, because, how does it work on stream? Do you just like put a card in front of you? Yeah, yeah, you just target one of your own cards. It works fine. Okay. Um, but that was nice. I mean, Hypnotic Spectre is not very threatening uh, for this deck because this deck is usually empty handed um, and more, more or less all the cards in the deck cost two mana or less to play. So you can play whatever you draw. Um, and I really like that. And then I, you might lose like an, uh, w- an extra winter orb or in worst case, <laughs> you, you right. basically played out what you needed to play out. Yeah. Um, I do think though that um, this deck, it does run out of steam. Um, it really That's has... why I, I, I really, really think the copper tablets shine in your deck. Yes, I think they're better than uh, Black Rice. Uh, I agree with that. I think I would play probably like eight if I could. <laughs> you could. Yeah, that was uh, so good. That's the same. Yeah. How does the Ankh do in this deck? I've been pretty disappointed uh, yeah. by that card. Uh, it's another card like Black Vice, which is much better on the play. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've I've just had many situations where 
I've had the choice between playing the Ankh or playing a copper tablet, and it's it's hard to know how good how good the Ankh is because from my perspective, it often does nothing. But it's possible that my opponent is holding back lands in order to play around it. But it's really hard for me to know whether that's being disruptive yeah. or not. It's um, usually really good, uh, okay. even if you miss that it's good. Right. Um, it's it's I... at least two mana for two damage, and that can be enough. But most of the time, two mana for four damage. Or right. that the opponent need to use uh, Disenchant on that one instead of a Copper Tablet. Right. And there are some nice interactions in this deck um, that break the symmetry of some of the cards. So uh, there are times when I've had two copies of Ankh of Mishra in play, and I really want to play a land, and I might be on you know seven life or something. Um, but if I've got, say, an Atog in play, uh, I might decide to sacrifice one or both of the Ankhs uh, in order to just save myself some yeah. life. Uh, and then there are also uh, ways to make Copper Tablet asymmetrical, obviously. It's really satisfying to play Copper Tablet, have the opponent take one in a tight uh, race, and then uh, sacrifice it to the mechanics to do them another two. Uh, so that's turning Copper Tablet into a lightning bolt um, in a game in which um, each player taking one damage a turn might not be favorable. Uh, well, and the last, the last thing that comes up is sometimes playing a Winter Orb um, just as a mana short of sorts and uh, sacrificing it on the opponent's turn, um, you know, to get a full untap. Yeah, I like it. I, I really, really like this deck. What, uh, what have been your decisions, like, with... Have you ever thought, like, bringing Goblin Balloon Brigade or, like, more creatures? Or what, what were your thought process when you, like went through the deck like you I've, you don't I've, have any artifact creatures and you have one mana wall like gordon yeah said. the mana yeah. wall you need to explain <laughs> yeah well in terms of creatures i have actually considered um i've considered the balloon brigade uh i've also considered brass man um you know it would be a natural fit uh if it didn't have the you know the upkeep essentially um, and I've also considered Battering Ram, which <laughs> might show you how <laughs> how desperate I am. I really just want, uh, you know, a one mana one one artifact creature. I would I would play a vanilla one one for one. Uh, the only card I think you're really really missing. It's in the sideboard. It's Meek Stone. Ah yes. Oh yeah. I. Yeah. That would be a it does it doesn't do anything against your deck, and I think it would be really good against a bunch of decks. Right. Um, the so problem is maybe you you can't you just have one, so I don't know. I I do have a second Meek Stone on the way, um, so I am definitely interested in playing Meek Stone because what I've realized is that it does a lot of what City in a Bottle does, yeah. um, but for half the mana. And yeah. it's actually much better against, uh, you know, other decks as well. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like uh, if you like, what are all the artifact creatures? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fun, for example, uh, playing a Meek Stone and then having the opponent attack with their Juggernaut 
because they have to. And then just <laughs> taking five and then having their one creature permanently tapped and, you know, getting in with the, you know, ATOGs and factories and things. Um, I've actually been considering some changes to this deck um, to actually play two or three Meek Stones and to, to play the Howling Mine, Relic Barrier, Icy Manipulator package yeah. uh, in some mm. numbers. Because Even a fireball with more bolts is also very fun and good. Right. Yes. And uh, fireball with. Um, I think all with red the, decks should have at yeah. least one fireball. <laughs> Just if if you flood out, you have something to do with the mana. Yes. Although I will recommend disintegrate. I think <laughs> that in most decks, I would rather play disintegrate than fireball. Why? Why? I use fireball's uh, uh, <laughs> special thing quite often, actually. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well. Um, I don't know whether it's just the sorts of decks to play, it's but a... no, no, I really struggle uh, against Sedge Troll. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard yeah, to get true. through Sedge Troll with Atog. I so, was thinking about creatures that reanimated, and I was like, yeah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't come up too often. Although I will say the one, uh, the one person I lost to on the boat in the Swiss rounds uh, was uh, Johan playing a mono beta mono black deck and he beat me with willow the wisp and pestilence so i would <laughs> really have liked to have had a disintegrate in that game nice but uh we had a discussion uh, after the tournament about uh, playing four orcish mechanics uh, i said it was too many uh that two three at absolute most uh <laughs> And we had a lively discussion about that. Um, but you told me the other day that you were thinking of removing the mechanics. Uh, yes. So what's the reasoning uh, there? Well, um, it is a good card and it does, um, it does act as, you know, just extra outlets for all these janky artifacts that might not be good in a particular situation. Um, but I almost wonder whether um, the creatures should live on the sideboard. I've even considered playing the Atogs on the sideboard as well um, and playing main deck Blood Moon and essentially being creatureless game yeah. one and then we, bring it you, in. You and I talked about Blood Moon when we played. Yes, yeah. And uh, I think like the best positioning for Blood Moon is when you're when when you just play it and when the oppo opponent don't like expect it right. so it's like the best unexpected part <laughs> in right. school because uh, like... and yeah there's some minus energy as well uh, because i was thinking well should i go creatureless game one uh but then i still have mistress factory so i still have a target for my opponent's creature removal but uh you know under Blood Moon, I won't be activating those anyway. Um, but I think it's it's a hard decision to make because Atog probably is the best card in the deck right now. Uh, so mm. it's one of those things where, okay, I might be able to blank four copies of Swords to Plowshares, but I'd be giving up, you know, four of the best cards in the deck. So yeah, I no, I, I don't think. I don't think that would be a good. But no. I do agree with Gordon that four copies of the the orcish mechanics was too many. No, are, uh, have, have you come to that conclusion as well? 
Yes, I have gone. Oh, um, now I feel good. So, <laughs> so the thing is, um, it's it's the top of the curve. No, yeah. I don't think anything else in the deck costs three. Nope. And um, I've had games where I've gone turn one Black Lotus mechanics and maybe played, you know, a land in a Black Vice or something. Um, but that just doesn't feel good because I end up just attacking for one for a few <laughs> turns. And I think Hurloon Minotaur would have been more impressive. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the problem with them is they, they make all of the artifacts better, but the more uh, of these uh, sacrifice outlets one puts into the deck, the worse all the other sacrifice outlets become. Yeah. So a hand with three ATOGs is not actually that good uh, because obviously the second ATOG is just eating the food that the first one would have eaten. Um, so it's actually nice to try to string uh, the opponent along uh, by just showing one of these, uh, you know, sacrifice outlets at a time. Um, if, if you know, one has a handful of them. Yeah, but I just think eight is too many and uh, paying three mana for essentially a 1-1 one, one attacker uh, is, is not good value. And the games uh, in which it dominates are pretty rare. There are a few games where you might play against a, a black deck and be able to like destroy two hypnotic specters. Uh, those feel good, but I think those are edge cases. What's the? It, he, there's a planeswalking. I think he has protection from white. He's, he costs four, and he's a three-three. Is a red card. Uh, Mountain Yeti. Yeah. I, I would like to see that card as well in the deck. Maybe in the sideboard, at least. Well, I did play this deck one week after the boat tournament uh, in Cologne. And I made some changes. I did play two copies of Su Chi. Um, yeah. And Su Chi was quite good for me. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I had the pipe, the pipe dream of uh, you know, attacking the Su Chi and then after combat, sacrificing it to the mechanics to do two more damage and then playing a Disintegrate for eight or something. Yeah, so, I love that interaction. Uh, that didn't ever come up, but uh, yeah, I think Su Chi is another possible top-end card. Yeah, uh, that's when think... you want fireballs, though. Yes. Or just, or yeah, with, with the, the Sushi. Yeah. yeah, right. And the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I, I feel um, the, the reasons you said you cut the mechanics are about the same reasons um, which I said after the boat. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, but I think you're. This is. It's an amazing deck, uh, both with the mechanics uh, out with the sushi and fireballs. Also a good way to go, make stone, and I think this uh, with the Swedish rules uh, can be a real contender in the future. This is not just a tier two deck which happens to be no, no, no. good right now when people yeah. are trying out black lies. I think this is a real deck. Yeah, but I think so. the he, the only thing I would do is like, how do you go large with it? It's the yeah. same thing with the mono black deck. Like that, that's the only thought thought process I would put through. I, I would say I have you. I have one idea for the deck for those who wants to try something that isn't mono, and then that that splashing green uh, oh, for yeah. maybe 
one or two berserks and to avoid fates because the creatures are so important. And, uh, and you had Grant at hello. Yeah. <laughs> Smashing green. green. Yeah. Ooh, I'm yep, listening. Yep. yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if if someone listening to this show does decide to take that uh, suggestion, I can recommend one extra artifact to play, and that is glasses of Urza. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, we discussed it. Yeah, we discussed that. Uh, I love we discussed it. I and love playing it. It's really, really good in the all-in style Atog deck. Like, oh, do yeah, you, you, do you have the coming. removal? Oh, you right. don't. Yeah. So I sacrifice everything in Berserk. <laughs> and I just love the flavor of imagining this Atog <laughs> putting on a pair of glasses, <laughs> reading a book or something, and then eating the glasses. <laughs> it's like it's like with the Gitaxian probe, like it should be. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You but, shouldn't get in it. You sh well, you, you get something from it. Yeah, you, you get you a get lot of value like, here. It yeah, is a Gitaxian yeah, Pro somewhere. for old school. But um, <laughs> David, do you know that I actually have a hand-painted uh, painting of Atog from Jesper Mirforce? Oh, my, wow. So, as a small mascot when I play sometimes. Nice. So this is just bragging I right do, now? No, I do love David, Atog. do you want to brag about anything before we wrap up? Well, I should mention the, the uh, amazing playmat. That was the uh, the prize for the boat tournament. And first of all, shout out to uh, Sermac for organizing just an amazing tournament. It was so fun to play on a boat uh, with you know sixteen people who were uh, just you know all there to to eat, drink, play magic, have a good time. Um, in in I really... different orders. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the the there were three different prizes, and uh, the prize that I was lucky enough to win was a playmat by uh, Dan Frazier, which was created specially for this tournament, and it depicts uh, two goblins in a dinghy uh, with a Swedish flag, and uh, they've got a boat full of moxen. Basically, yeah, it's a beautiful um, playmat. Yeah. It's a Stolen really goods. beautiful playmat. So it's and, a hand-drawn uh, and Fraser mat. Yeah. Samak said that like usually he just like uh, does these like basic small scribbles. Painting. When, yeah. But he he really liked the thought about going on a bow. Uh, he, he like went with it. Yeah. So I I could have been that one having that playmat. But you're not. <laughs> because we met in the top, was it top four, top eight? I think. Top, four. top four. Top four, yeah. We, we met, I, I won the twist and then I met you and then you screwed me with the light thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but David, thank you so very much for uh, talking to us and your insights on deck brewing, brewing without brewing five colors, a couple of cool decks. Uh, and it, it's just been amazing to hear your train of thought uh, when it comes to building new decks and trying new interactions and things like that. So thank you very much for joining uh, Flippin' Orbs. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Also, thanks Grant and Seb for uh, being here once more talking about magic. 
Yeah, I'd love to be able to come back, and I'm really grateful that you would have me. <laughs> I'll probably yeah. have you one more time. And thanks, Greg, one more as time. always. Mm -hmm. And also thanks uh, all the listeners uh, for being here. And um, if you like what you hear and haven't listened to our earlier episodes, just go to iTunes or wak.se uh, to find the old episodes. And uh, if you like what we do overall, uh, visit the site. There's many deck lists. Uh, we also have a Twitter and Instagram, wakwakmtg, uh, where you can find what's happening. And uh, if you have um, an idea of someone we should uh, interview or talk with, or an idea for a topic we should talk about on the episode, uh, email us at wakwakmtg at gmail.com. Thanks again, David. Thanks again, Grant. Thanks again, Seb. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Now we are signing off for today. Good night or good day or good morning or whenever you listen to this. Bye-bye. <laughs>